This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Hamilton, Mary, ho ho, my friend. It's getting there, isn't it? Like, what are we, a week out? Not even? Holy crap. Where did the time yeah. go? Home stretch um, and episode 55 of Talk is Sheep. Thank you to all our fine listeners. We should do a giveaway. I, you know, we, we always um, uh, sort of noodle around some thoughts and in, in what we're going to do. And we didn't talk about this, but it's Christmas. We should give it, let's do a Christmas giveaway. How, autograph, autograph pictures or what? No, we got to give something of value. Come on. Oh, two autograph pictures. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, what are we going to do? Let's create something here. Um, oh, good Lord. Well, that's, what's our budget? That's always a good thing to discuss, right? So $100 in merchandise to Wild Sheep Society BC's page. We've got a whole bunch of new merchandise. Thanks to our merchandise manager. we got some cool water bottles. We've got some new hats in. Um, so some really cool stuff. We give a hundred away, hundred bucks away. And new shirts too. Yeah, exactly. So what are we doing? What do you have to do to win? Oh, hmm. What does Jana? What, what does Jana say? What, what's something about her hunt? Oh, what does she think she spots on the mountain through okay. her field glasses? All right, fair enough. Right. Are you and she I disqualified from this competition? No, we never get to win. We never <laughs> exactly. get to win. So text me what you think it is. <laughs> so yeah, what is Janet? Janet gets into it. She she's talking about her sheep hunt. What does she think she spots on the mountain? And what in fact is it? Tell us what it is. Okay. Email cool. it to communications at wildsheepsociety.com. For a hundred dollars swags package. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so episode 55, Jana Waller. Um, Jana is the uh, co-producer and host of Skullbound Chronicles. Uh, they're shown on Carbon TV. Uh, it's a completely free platform. Get over there, check it out. And uh, Jana is a blast to listen to. Uh, we get into some really, really cool discussions on this uh, talk of sheep. Uh, she was a f- voted the fan favorite in 2020 on Carbon TV uh, award-winning uh, producer, and uh, she just does a fantastic job. A lot of fun to listen to. Oh, it was great. Great, great episode. She was uh, just light and bubbly and sparkly and comes across great in the episode. A lot of fun to listen to her stories and get to know her a little bit. So for our uh, listeners, uh, just a quick reminder that we do have our membership drive currently on. Check it out. Um, there's some really cool prizes uh, to win the Stone Glacier backpack, courtesy of our conservation partner, Stone Glacier. We've got 
Canis gear. We've got some uh, WSSBC swag. So if you're going to buy a membership, now's the time to do it. You can upgrade. Um, so that's going to run till the end of the month, and then your time is up. So get on now and uh, wildsheepsociety.com and get your membership updated, renewed, whatever you need to do there. Um, so episode 55 uh jana waller but that said it is christmas we want to wish you all a very very merry christmas uh our next episode likely be after the christmas uh break here um, but we got a lot of great uh, guests coming up for talk of sheep in 22 we're really excited about the year ahead mm-hmm. um and we just want to thank all of you for the support um you know this started out pretty small potatoes just no vision really just talk about conservation a little bit of sheep hunting some sheep hunting tips and uh, and now you know we're we're really enjoying the guests we're having on and really having a great time. Don't really know where it's headed. Uh, <laughs> we, we have no uh, vision of being a Rogan or a uh, uh, Ranella, but uh, you know we just wanted to to share some of the stories out there. And, and when you get a guest like Jan on here, it's uh, it's pretty easy to tell a pretty cool story and have a pretty cool conversation. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we're coming up to the sheep show pretty quickly. You're gonna hopefully record a couple of podcasts down there with some guests we've got lined up that are going to shock, going to shock some people that like, Holy crap. These two guys uh, from, from BC managed to line up these guests. So yeah. You uh, just jinxed this buddy. I did. I did. So so, so make sure you hit that, uh, that uh, follow subscribe button wherever you podcast. And yeah, the more you do that, the better our reach becomes and yeah. And you, you never miss an episode. Awesome. So episode 55, Jenna Waller from Carbon TV and the Skullbound Chronicles. Enjoy and Merry Christmas, everyone. If we told you tomorrow that elk, black bear and bighorn sheep were next, would you speak up? Wildlife needs to be managed by science and not by emotion. And you don't have to be a hunter to take part in this movement. You just have to want sound management of our wildlife in BC. Go to wildsheepsociety.com slash act now to use your voice and demand that BC not use our wildlife as pawns in a game of social management. Act now. Or the things that you love could be next. Good afternoon, Jenna. Welcome to Talk of Sheep. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm still on literally walking on cloud nine. So it's perfect timing to do this podcast because I'm still amped up. <laughs> I am really glad too, because there's nothing better than somebody coming off the mountain with a sheep and getting to tell that story right away. And yeah. you tell the story a year from now and it's way different because you remember all the other stuff, but right now it's just sheer emotion, right? Right. So, oh yeah, um, right, exactly. In fact, my editor and, and my cameraman Heath is coming over tomorrow. This this episode won't even air for another year and a month. It's actually going to be the oh, debut wow. episode of January 2023. And we both said we have got to record the spine interview, which drives the show now mm-hmm. while this is all so fresh. And so you can remember the details that you feel the emotion still. And so tomorrow we're going to be doing that. So I agree with you 100%. It's got to be told right away. Well, that's awesome. So well, let's start off with a huge congratulations. What a beautiful ram. What a beautiful story. Um, this is your first sheep, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've always so, joked I'm hashtag too cheap for sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and you, how, how long have you been applying for? Like you've gone through the application process and like this is... Yeah, I've lived in Montana. I think it's 12 years now. And I, there may have been one year I missed, but I'm thinking I had 10 or 11 points. 
I get that question so much. I need to just go look it up on my ALS. But um, yeah, I think I had 10 or 11. I was just, it's funny. I was just, you know how it is on social media. Guys are like, oh, must be nice and da, 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 you know, mm-hmm. all that. And uh, I just today ran across a young gal who drew, I thought it was Idaho goat her very first year. And I'm oh, like, wow. good for you. You know, she's 18, looked like 17, 18 years old, trudging up that mountain. And I'm like, it happens. It's all you know, you can't, you got to be in it to win it. I never, ever thought I have literally only ever drawn one other great tag in my life. And that was my Alaska moose tag. And other than that, I've, I've never gr- drawn a great deer tag. I've never drawn a great elk tag. I've never, So this was, and it's funny because my business partner, Heath was with me. He's my bear baiting partner. We bait just over the border in Idaho. We were going baiting and he, and he said, Hey, I'm going to run into the gas station, and get some food. Hey, check your, check your stats. And I went on to Montana FWP and he comes out of the bathroom like, Hey, I was screaming so loud. I said, you got to come look at this and verify it. Am I looking at this right? Like I just was freaking out. And it was so fun that he was with me in the moment that I looked at my phone and saw that. And then he got, he was with me every day, but two days of the 17 days of the hunt. So, wow. Yeah. Was- that is awesome. That is, well, there you go. 17 days, right? Like that just goes to show you, uh, sheep is never a gimme, right? And so 12 years of applying, 11, 12 years, whatever the number is, uh, 17 days of hunting and endless days of spotting and, and effort and, 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 uh, and it culminates in a, in a successful hunt. So congratulations. I I can't wait to hear all about it. So can, can we talk a little bit about you growing up and where your passion came from? Cause we'll save the sheep hunt kind of for the last, the big, uh, the big finale. So let's, let's hear all about you. I know you grew up in a hunting family. Your dad was a hunter. Let's hear all about how, where your passion comes from when you start hunting all that, those early days for us. Well, if people can, uh, I'm sure you guys get this a lot of where are you from? Because my all about is pretty close to yours because I was from, I'm from Wisconsin. And so <laughs> everybody always laughs when I say, oh, they say, where do you live? And I'm like, oh, I live in Montana. And they kind of pause for a second. They go, you're not from Montana, are you? And I'm not, I'm from Wisconsin, very proud, um, born and lived there for oof, 38 years of my life. Um, my dad, what he, I'm the second daughter of two girls. And I think in, you know, a lot of families, the the second one, the guy's praying for a little boy, you know, and the joke of the family is he just sort of turned me into one, but I really do believe that he saw in me this innate love of nature and this passion for the outdoors. Whereas my sister, completely opposite. She's very cerebral, very smart. She would always be in a room reading books and she's kind of an introvert. And um, the joke of the family is she only goes outside to get to her car. Like, you know, we're completely opposite. And part of that, I think, is the way I was raised. And part of it is just because of who we are as people. We're just individually different. And But he saw a love of nature in me. I was always outside trying to catch frogs and begging him to take me bird hunting. And he started to take me pheasant hunting and duck hunting when I was in grade school, you know, when I was old enough to, you know, maybe battle a little bit of bad weather or walk the fields without complaining all too much. And uh, we would road trip it to South Dakota in my junior high days to pheasant hunt. But I didn't get into big game hunting until kind of the end of my high school. Um, I had a high school boyfriend who just bought a bow and he was really into sitting in the woods. And I would sit in the trees with him and absolutely loved just watching the deer. But I didn't pick up a bow until I was a freshman in college. And I'd met a girl, a friend of my roommates who had just stuck a nice buck. And and I said to her, oh, that's so exciting. Oh, my gosh. Like, I can't even pull my boyfriend's bow back. And she was like, 
well, you got to get a bow that fits you, you know, like, and that was kind of an aha moment for me of like, if she could do it, I could do it, you know, and no one had ever walked me through the fact of tuning up your bow and lowering the poundage and training your arm and, you know, getting everything right, your arrow weight, your broadheads, you know, your draw length, everything right. And so I bought a bow my freshman year in college, started hunting, got a doe that first year. And, you know, it's been over three decades of bow hunting ever since. And then when I moved out West 12 years ago, I got into long range rifle hunting as well. I don't know about you guys, but my farthest shot at a whitetail in Wisconsin is like 150 yards. Like we never even, I never, I never even thought of long range rifle hunting mm-hmm. until I moved out West. And I trained a bit with Nemo arms up in Kalispell and uh, just started shooting a lot And then over the years, got into other things. Uh, Handgun hunting is a big thing I've gotten into recently. And, uh, but I've just been just really blessed for that. Someone, my dad gave me the gift of the knowledge of hunting, of what it means of, you know, enjoying the great outdoors and just, um, you know, getting back to the basics. I mean, especially in the crazy, crazy world that we live in today, nothing relaxes me and calms me and centers me more than being outside, you know, being in the mind. And that's what hunting is all about. I mean, people who don't hunt think it's about pulling a trigger. They think it's about ego. They think it's about notching a tag and maybe it is for some, but nobody I know it's just about being out there and the challenges. And like, once you kind of conquer some things, maybe in getting into other species or into other weapons, like I have, I've hunted with almost every single weapon except traditional archery and It's just been uh, a passion of mine, especially after moving out West. Most people don't know that before I started Skullbound TV 11, almost 12 years ago, um, I was actually, I worked for Edward Jones Investments (laughs) for 10 years. Talk about opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And before Mm -hmm. that, I was in outside sales. I sold radio advertising and, you know, just a lot of uh, sales type positions. And, uh, when, uh, when I moved out West, um, my ex had the idea of starting the show. There were no solo female hosted shows on the sportsman's channel at that time. And there's lots of amazing ones since, of course, Melissa Bachman comes to mind and she's so amazing. And, 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 but at the time it was just a perfect time to have a solo female hosted show. And it was important to me to do a show that showed that we're animal lovers. Hunters are the greatest animal lovers and conservationists on the planet. And I, I thought that was missed in hunting shows. And so that was important to me to include. And uh, I ran nine years on the Sportsman's Channel. And then with just how technology is changing and everybody's changing up how they're getting their adventure programming, I decided to go digital two years ago. And so I have my right now, well, one year I was both on the network and digital. But now I'm all digital on Carbon TV. It's called Skullbone Chronicles, and it's just hunting stories and adventures. Um, I can tell you next this this coming January, I'm so excited. I'm launching season four of Skullbone Chronicles, and it is a collaboration of my 13 favorite veteran hunts that I've ever done, and they're just incredible stories of. Uh, men and women, there's only two women, but the rest are guys who have just overcome, uh, you know, losing limbs, losing friends. And um, it's been my gift to sort of uh, gift to myself and them of, of spending time in the mountains with them and just helping them notch their tags and just getting back to the basics of nature and, uh, and appreciation. And so I'm so excited to tell all their stories and have an all veteran season next year. And it's free. That's the beautiful thing about being digital. Carbon TV is free. There's no subscription base. There's no nothing. It's free for anybody. It's now in Europe and Asia. 
and it's it you can watch it anytime anywhere as many times as you want you can share it it's just it's a really great platform very cool so let, let's talk i guess about now that we're talking about um the show and, and business and so for you you grew up kind of in that hunting space and, and doing your thing and out there with your dad and and these different experiences um but now it's it's different. Now it's it's a job, right? So, um, you know, for you, um, obviously, it doesn't change uh, your passion for the outdoors or or for the storytelling and the hunting and that aspect. But is it different for you? Like now you're going out. Now you actually are doing a job, and you've you've got um, you know advertisers to be accountable to uh, people watching the show to make it interesting, that sort of stuff. So has that changed for you or, and you still get the same enjoyment being outside now that you, with the business, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I absolutely do. I have to say though, I think it's because of where I'm at in my life. Um, You know, I've, I, yes, it's my job, but I worked 20 years before this and, you know, in pretty successful other careers and, I don't feel the pressure that some may in the hunting industry, or if let's say they have a show for per se, I I don't feel the pressure as much as I've got to get it done. I got to notch my tag because my show's never been about that. I've often showed episodes where I don't notch a tag and I, that's, I mean, that's reality. That's hunting. And I actually get just as much great feedback about those episodes as any of the other ones. I mean, no one tunes into my show to watch me kill monster muleys. You know I mean? I've gotten some pretty nice public land bucks over the years, but nothing like jaw dropping. And that's just not what it's about for me at all. And I'm not saying that we don't all love to like find luck on a beautiful big animal. Of course we do. But I also just like just this year, I went into the backcountry in Utah with my best friends, Polly and Dee Servi, and I shot the littlest mule deer I've ever shot. And it was the most hard earned mule deer I ever shot. And that's what we wanted the episode to be about. We decided in the beginning that we were going to shoot any mature buck as long as it had a big mature body. And we were five miles back in and we camped for five days, lived out of backpacks and it was a totally different style hunt. And um, I would have been fine. And it was self-filmed, which is not easy when it comes to me. I'm not a camera person, but it was just all we, I thought we captured it beautifully. And, and to me, it's important to show that it's just a regular old, you know, every, public land hunt, um, you know, backcountry tent hunt. And, uh, but I don't feel the pressure. I would say that a lot of TV shows do just because, um, I try to keep it real. I love it. There are times like even on the sheep hunt that it was exhausting and it was like, Poor Heath, my cameraman, he was worn out. You know, there were days that we didn't even get the camera out because there was nothing Mm -hmm. to film. (laughs) We didn't even see an animal. Like, and the funny thing is there were other days where we didn't see sheep. Like it was crazy and we'll get into that. But along that hunt, we filmed some beautiful bucks. It's a, it's a draw buck unit and elk unit. And so we saw 180 just walking along the side of the road with his girls, with his does. And we filmed another really cool forked three point big buck bedded in a t- in timber 20 yards off the road. Just didn't even care. We were there. Girlfriends all bedded around him, like really cool stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's challenging and it's tough, but I don't, I back to your question. I don't really feel the pressure maybe that some shows do because I just, I'm going to film the hunt. I'm going to keep it real. And to me, that's what it's about. It's not, I'm not trying to be anything that I'm not or show anything Mm -hmm. that I'm not. And I think that is honestly the reason for my success. I I agree with that. That's so much more appealing as somebody who watches that. I've, I've said to people in the outdoor space, the same thing. I'd rather see 
failures with nothing there where you've taken a shot and missed over, over sitting in a tree stand and shooting a 180, 190 class buck every single episode. Cause that's not real, no. right? It's, it's so much more than, than the kill. There's the, the story leading up to it. The, after the kill, like the, the kills the easiest part of it, right? It's, it really truly is for the show, right? You can edit to make it look great, but when, when you're showing the real side, that's for me as somebody who watches, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I just think it's important. Um, you know, and every single hunt is so different than the next, you know, and you just never know what to expect, especially public land hunting. You don't know what, what you're going to mm-hmm. see, if anything. And, um, my show one minute, the episode will be about monster sturgeon fishing in Oregon. And the next we archery elk. And then the next, you know, uh, Alberta whitetail, or I just yeah. try to, and I don't even, it's funny because everybody's asked me this over the, the decade plus years of how do you plan out your hunts? How do you schedule of what's going to make a good show? I don't, I just, Perfect. what comes at me, I feel like even with friendships and relationships in life, I've just. I believe in the natural process of things. I think paths cross for a reason. And I think I've just always felt like a pull towards certain things or not. And, and if it works for my schedule, great. Or I've never felt the need to put out any episodes that weren't organic and just mm-hmm. na- naturally forming, if you will, you know, yeah. depending on what tags I draw or, um, Hey, buddy invites me like Paulie and D to go in the backcountry of Utah muzzleloader. And then I drew it and, you know, it, it I don't really plan it out. And I, I feel like that keeps it natural as well. And I'm, you know, I'm just basically a do it yourself hunter. I do hunt with outfitters out of state sometimes, but a lot of times I'll give those to the veterans that I hunt with. And, um, but yeah, I've just been really blessed just, and I feel like my, I feel like it's funny. Um, you know, I had a major change in my life two and a half years ago, uh, broke up with my business partner and founder of the show and just went my own way and really wondering of like, could I do this by myself? Because he was my cameraman editor, you know, and it's just all been such an incredible blessing to like what, what in my life was a tragedy at that time turned into just an incredible blessing. And you know, that whole, I I can do it and like all of it, like from like arranging the business of it all to the hunts. And, um, it's just been an amazing ride. Like I just, every day I'm so grateful for this, this life that I live. It's just been amazing. That's awesome, Dan. And I want to commend you. You know, you talked about you wanted to show how, you know, hunters love animals, right? In 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 your story and that be part of your messaging and what you do. And, you know, you started doing that a long time ago, years ago. And now, like if you, you know, the whack'em stack'em, like, oh, 100 bucks in 100 minutes type thing, it's just gone out of vogue, right? Like it just doesn't tell and it just doesn't resonate even with our community, right? But 10 years ago, people died for that stuff. It was like, you know, and networks, that's all they could get their hands on. So doing what you did a long time ago was, you know, was kind of not the norm. It wasn't, you know, the networks were built on this stuff of just killing things, right? So good on you. And I think that that's a great message. And now it's super, super popular. And I'm sure that hasn't helped or hasn't hurt you in terms of your show, right? Having done this for so long. So yeah, Yeah. very cool. And I commend you on that, that the story that you tell, it's very tasteful. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm really blessed. I have incredible partners who've been, most of them been with me since the very beginning, very beginning, even when they hadn't even seen a show yet. And I'm just really blessed to have great partners and, uh, you know, really good people by my side to uh, 
you know, Heath, my cameraman editor, uh, JR, another cameraman um, that I've shot with. And I've just got great people by my side, you know, to help me along the way. And uh, I think it's who you surround yourself with in life that really, really makes it fun. Oh, congratulations to you and your team because yeah, yeah, you guys do a fantastic job. So, so let's talk about this year. So, I, I've kind of been watching your keeping up with uh, what's going on. But so, spring bear, turkey, um, sheep. We're going to talk sheep later, but uh, let's let's go back. I guess maybe this winter. Where did things start for you? Let's let's cr- uh, do a chronology of the last yeah months. I guess you're well. asking a lot of me just to let you know. I, I, I know. this is hard so work. Fried. My brain is so fried lately. Um, yeah, so my year, um, I still do some hunting in the winter because I live out West, you know, we can wolf hunt, we can mountain lion hunt. Um, I'm trying to think, was it last year or the year before that I shot my mountain lion with a pistol? That was two, two winters ago. I see. I can't even keep things straight. Um, I'm literally gone way more than I am home. And then when I'm home, I'm scrambling to get home stuff done and office stuff done and now commissioner stuff done. And it's all kind of a big blur, but, um, my season, I feel like really kicks off after the shows, you know, when we're, we're, we're talking shot show, sheep show, like all those, um, Western hunt expo. It, I start gearing up in March and I start thinking about spring bear because I run my own baits with Heath in Idaho. And then I Montana spot and stalk is a huge season here in the spring. And so I'm really concentrating on bear. And then this past spring I drew Oh, when I say I've only ever drawn one other cool tag, I did draw two, two cool tags. Um, Utah bear tag that I drew this year. They only have a couple of non-resident tags for that. So I was super lucky. And I had never, in all my bears, which I think there's 14 of them, um, I had never hunted with hounds. I've hound hunted for mountain lion, but never with never for bears. And uh, so I went with TJ Pace in Utah, who's an amazing houndsman. His dogs are incredible. And that's a, that's one of my favorite episodes that I've ever filmed because I think I tell the story of the houndsman well. Um, and it's, it's a lot of work. People have no idea how hard it is. And, and they think, oh, you use dogs, you put them up a tree. Where's the challenge? And it, just go watch the episode because it's a challenge because your dogs are taken off and they're going two mountains over and you're watching them on the GPS. You're like, Oh, there's no roads. And you know, your trace that we, we dumped off and chased the dogs numerous times. And then they come circling back because the track is old, got old or they lost it in the water or, you know, it's just, it's a lot more work, much less. I think TJ does a really good job of explaining, um, life as a houndsman. It's 24 seven and you can't get away from it. You're constantly taking care of those dogs to have them where you need to have them for these short seasons. But, uh, so I was really blessed with a beautiful Utah bear who has a great story behind him. We get up to the tree and this bear is literally like 90 feet up in the tree. TJ's like, I've never seen a bear climb that high. He was like swaying on the top of this monster pine. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I was hunting with my handgun, my Desert Eagle 429 handgun too. And I'm looking straight up like we couldn't even, we, we could see his head peeking out, but then, you know, there's just too many trees, you know, over his body. So we were there at the tree for hour, hour and a half, just waiting for the bear to shift and give me a window. And um, he did, the shot was perfect. He was dead before he hit the ground. It was such a blessing to have a quick kill. And, uh, but when, when we were looking at him up in the tree, we noticed he had little jewelry. He had a ear tag. And it turns out that two years before that, this bear was walking in downtown Orem, Utah. And he went oh, up, wow. they treat him in downtown Orem. And then they dumped him up in the mountains. And two years later, I came across him. So it's kind of funny to have 
a bear that's got a little history like that. So that's very cool. Can you talk about um, the handgun experience? That's super. So in Canada, as you probably know, they don't even if you if you're got a handgun, you're pretty much a criminal right off the get go. So for us, the the concept of hunting with a handgun is I'm very envious. I'd love to experience that. So tell us about how you got into that and that experience a little bit, and maybe what what's involved with that. I don't want to take away from your hunt, but I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Oh no, it's no no big deal. Um, I met Jody Deporter, who is the marketing manager of Magnum Research at Shot Show one year, and just got to talking and. Um, a mutual friend introduced me to the Desert Eagle, the four, the brand new 429. And uh, I had hunted with a handgun just one other time in Texas for hogs before that. And I thought, oh, cool. Now, mind you, I never grew up with handguns. I never even got a handgun until I moved to Montana. And really, it was basically for the four-legged predators when I'm out hunting, because here we have, you know, mountain lion, wolves, coyotes, mm-hmm. um, uh, mountain lion, wolves, coyotes, grizzly. Oh, tons of grizzlies where I hunt elk. So, you know, you definitely want to be packing. And I usually typically have bear spray on the right hip and a pistol on the left. And then I just, after a couple of years, wanted to try to start hunting with a pistol. So I went down to Texas and got a hog and then met Jody, started hunting with the 429. And since then I've taken um, mountain lion, bear, a turkey in Texas, which is, believe it or not, I'm really proud of the turkey. (laughs) Um, um, Hog, javelina, and I'm missing something. Mountain lion, bear, turkey, javelina, hog. There's something else I'll think about. But I uh, I do definitely want to hunt elk and deer with it as well. So Right. Cool. So what kind of range are you looking at? Like what what's a, a safe range where you'd be comfortable shooting something? Yeah. Um, I feel personally comfortable out to 50 yards. Um, cool. You know, yeah, everybody's different. I know that gun can shoot a t- lot farther. But with me and the excitement and, you know, just the stability and it's an animal that's not a target. That's not a steel plate that I'm having mm-hmm. fun blinking at. It's an animal. And the last thing I want to do is wound an animal. And so I feel really good out to 50 yards. I hunted with it. Um, I've taken two bears with it, two or three, um, on my baits in Idaho. And those are typically 25, 30 yards. So it's the perfect weapon for that. Um, but I really want to try to maybe spot and stalk deer and elk with it as well. Very cool. So you've hunted with a whole range of uh, weapons. What what kind of like you're currently doing that now with predators and bears, but is there something that stands out? Is there a favorite medium that you like to use for a weapon or, or you just like to try different things? Not really. I love it all. I'm heading out to Iowa in two days. I have a muzzleloader hunt. I've only been muzzleloader hunting about five years. Um, I was really intimidated at first. To, I just thought it was, you know, old school ripping off and pouring the powder in and like uh, too much that could go wrong. And really there's, it's not, um, I'm super excited. I'm trying a brand new muzzleloader by, um, J.R. Schultz or Schultz precision. That's just a killer muzzleloader in every state's muzzleloader rules are so different. Um, Montana, we just op- opened up a muzzleloader season, but it's very primitive muzzleloader hunting. And I've done that as well. in uh, in Colorado where it's, uh, you know, no scope open sites, muzzleloader hunting, but Iowa and Utah, for example, you know, those muzzleloaders can, you know, really reach out there. And it's just a way to extend your hunting season too. Like in Wisconsin, where I'm from, once the rifle season's over, then there's a muzzleloader, I think week or 10 days. So it's just a way to extend your season. Um, it's not, it's not my favorite per se, but I, I don't know. I really like it all. I love spot and stock rifle hunting, um, especially for deer and elk. I love that and bear. 
Um, you know, I love handgun hunting. It's something kind of new to me in the last four or five years. I love archery. I've been actually bow hunting longer than I have anything else. Um, and the funny thing is this is the very first year I've not bow hunted in 30, Sorry. 31 years, I think. Yeah. And which is wow. crazy to me. It just didn't fit my schedule. You know, I, I just, uh, it was just too super busy. Um, I could have hunted with a bow, but I chose my handgun for bear in Idaho. Um, I could have done bow in Alaska, but I took my pistol and shot a really nice black bear with my pistol. So, um, yeah, I just chose handgun this year, but uh, it's, it did feel a little weird not archery hunting for the first time in three decades, but I'll get back into it. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so um, spring bear, and then I know you do some bow fishing. Was that, you do that in the wintertime, in the off season, or when does that happen? Is oh, that a springtime thing? Yeah, you can bow fish anytime. Um, I love to go to Texas. But Texas has just the most premier bow fishing from monster alligator gar to, you know, Louisiana catfish. I mean, I, I just love going South for bow fishing, but you can bow fish. You can bow fish. I believe almost all year round here in Montana. We have really fun carp bow fishing on Canyon Ferry and Holter Lake, Utah. I got out this year, Utah and did some carp bow fishing, um, right outside Springville. Um, but usually when I'm going down to Texas, um, I've gone kind of over the late fall winter months. It all just depends. A lot of it's weather. Um, a lot of it's when the big gator gar are spawning. And so I'll get a call from my buddy, Buck Medley. He's like, get down here. They're spawning kind of thing. Um, but yeah, bow fishing is, that's another thing. If people haven't been, I've been really blessed to get into it even before I moved out West because AMS, the company that makes the most awesome setups, they're right there in Wisconsin. And I actually met the owners through a girlfriend of mine who was into bow fishing. And so she's like, come along with us. And we went on their big AMS boat and, and on a lake just 10 miles from my dad's cabin. So that was my introduction to bow fishing like 15 years ago. And it, it is so much fun and it's so easy. Even if you're not into archery, it's, you know, swing and a miss. If you miss, you just reel that arrow back up, knock it on and keep going, you know, and okay. it's just so much fun. I would, I would highly recommend if you get the chance to bow fish, to try it because it's addicting. So when you uh, hammer a big, say alligator gar, like you, you get into them, do they take off? And is it like, how, how does that work? Like, I don't, what's it no. like? Is it like, you have to be careful. You don't lose your bow. I don't know. What is it like? Yeah. I don't understand. It's, in, what. it's intense. It's intense. There's a couple of different ways you can do it, but like sometimes guys put a buoy on the end of their bow. It, there's a little like uh, on the riser, uh, you can just put a buoy or a float. It's often how like you bow fish alligators, same concept. So when you, you shoot the arrow and it goes into the alligator or the alligator gar and it, it they run, they, they take off and they run. It's going to take all that string out of your, out of the, your uh, reel. And then it's attached to the buoy. So the buoy pops off. So you don't have to kind of worry. You can just watch that buoy go and then slowly, but surely pick up that line where that buoy is off. And you know, you don't want to tug real hard depending on how far you're into the fish or the alligator. And then like most alligator hunts, you slowly get them up. They get tired super easily. Gators do. And you bring them up to the boat and then typically you bang stick them. Okay. Cool. Really quick. You do not want to bring the gator into the boat until you. <laughs> yeah, that would be a classic failure. <laughs> um, but then with like gator gar, they fight and they're incredible. And you, again, you don't want to bring them into the boat till they're completely worn down either because they just swing their head. They've got teeth that are actually, some of them are on the outside of their mouths. And when they wow. swing that head back and forth, it's just like a sword. It's crazy. But yeah, I've gotten a couple of really nice big alligator gar. One, one of them with Buck was out of a, 
you know, flat bottom boat. That was the only thing we could take to get back into this. Really, the floods had created such a jungle across the creek to get back into this river system. So we took this little flat bottom boat. And that's actually, I believe, on one of the Skullbone Chronicles season one. That's There's a recap of that hunt. That hunt. Like, it is more like hunting than fishing. They should call it AMS hunting. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's that. I think that's on an episode of season one, but it's kind of fun to watch right out of the boat and kind of chaotic. But then, yeah, you just get them up to the boat and you hook them. And what people don't understand too is they're delicious eating. Mm-hmm. They're really, really good eating. If you can get the meat, the fillets on ice right away, they're delicious. Yeah, I've seen some pretty crazy videos on YouTube of people catching uh, the alligator gar, and they're just prehistoric looking. Like, and watching these guys trying to clean them, it's like they got an armor and they have to use like shears to cut, like tin oh, yeah. snips to cut through them, and it's just nuts. I have that on my show too. You can watch Bucky, and he's got one of those big like sawzaws. Yeah, like, yeah, their their skin. Actually, Native Americans used to use gator gar skin as armor, and oh. it is like in half an inch thick. It's just. It, wow. They're just amazing, but you're right. They're prehistoric. They're mm-hmm. just beautiful creatures. And you're allowed one gator gar per day in Texas. There's a limit. It's not unlimited, it, which I think is a really good idea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So when you go fishing for them, do you have to, is it a guided thing? Like, do you have to be guided or is there like public lands access or no, yeah, I know Texas is tough for that, but yep. you can be out on the river systems or lakes. Um, yeah. You, uh, obviously, uh, I'm not remember if you just have to have a fishing license or what, but, uh, yeah. And so some people do fish for them regularly fishing, right. Put meat on the end of the hook when you're bow fishing for them, actually Gator have to have oxygen. They, they breathe. So every 20 to 30 minutes they come up and they roll and while they roll or they'll just come up to the surface and kind of go like this and get some air and go down. Usually it's not that great. Usually it's like this. And like by the time your brain registers that they just rolled, you do what we call shoot the swirl. If it's if it's big enough, if you think if you caught a glimpse of them or it's big enough, you shoot the swirl and hope that your arrow is going to, you know, hit the guy because it is so fast. It is such a fun adventure. You're on the boat. You're you know, you're constantly looking, looking, look, you don't even want to take a drink of water. And typically you're in 110 degrees Texas heat and you're just hunting all day long for these gars to come up. And sometimes they will give you a slow rise and kind of take a couple gulps of water before they go back down. But uh, usually it's a super quick roll. And uh, the one, the last big one I got that's on one of those episodes might've been last year. I might have two episodes on there. I can't even remember. Um, But yeah, we, uh, we fought that fish for probably a good hour and a half. Huh, very cool. And who do you both fish with down there? You just, just said oh, the name. Crazy Buck Medley. Um, if you okay, don't know yeah, who right. Buck Medley is, he used to have a show on Animal Planet called The Texas Tarzan. He looks like Dog the Bounty Hunter. He's got big, long, blonde hair and a big, big black <laughs> beard. And he's just a hoot. He is. I met him through mutual friends um, at one of the shows. And uh, he is crazy, but in a really good way. He is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. Um, but he's wild. He So he's got his snake on and his black shirt and black jeans and he's he lives in texas and he literally is catching rattlesnakes with his hands and when he had his tv show on animal planet it was just all about you know crazy nature things like that um but he's just a diehard uh hunter big big archer um you know and in texas it's like texas is like 
an African safari. It's the closest thing we have in this country to Africa, where you have just things that want to bite you, sting you, kill you, bite, you know, eat you. And it's just a wicked environment, but so much fun. And typically when I'm down there, you know, I'm hunting whitetails and then I can also fish for gar and I can sometimes turkey hunt at the same time and hog hunt and javelina and, you know, go catch tarantulas with buck or, you know, just, it's, it's just a, it's a jungle in Texas, but it's so much fun. Yeah. I just, I just did a quick Google of him. I, I recognize him and yeah, you nailed it when you say dog, the bounty hunter with a bow. Yeah. <laughs> That's him. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Cool. So, uh, bow fishing, and we you had two bear hunts. And did, when was your Alaska bear hunt? When was that last fall or this? this no, they were hunt? both this spring. So they were. I think it was Alaska after Utah. I can't, like I said, my whole calendar's discombobbled in my head. But yeah, we went to Alaska with Joe Latart. Uh, Joe is a great guy. He's a legend in Alaska. He's been guiding there, I think, for over forty years. But he has just the most unique, beautiful place that he has a bear camp out in um, the Yukon Flats Refuge. And it's almost like Canada. Like I've gone up into Canada a lot fishing with my dad, where you take the float plane in and you're flying over the tundra and it's just flat, 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 flat tundra. And you look down and you know, like no one has ever walked here, you know, that kind of feeling like so primitive and, and, and raw, real nature. And, so you you know you climb up over the mountains. Yeah, as you leave Fairbanks, you in the uh, the float plane, you climb up over the mountains, and then you just fly over this Yukon Flats refuge, and it's just it's be- it's a beauty in a different way. But um, and just pockets of lakes everywhere, and it is overrun with bears. And so John and I went this year, he had a grizzly tag and I had a black bear tag and it's a baited hunt out there. And that's a lot of work too. Like I say, people think baited hunts are easy. Try baiting them from boats because all the stands you have to get to by boat. You're literally camping on a little peninsula. And then every day taking the boat out to refresh baits, you're fishing all afternoon and you're sitting from like, you know, three or four in the afternoon and you can sit as long as you want. It never gets dark. It literally never gets dark. And it's so crazy. The first night we were there, we were going to bed at like 2 a.m. and it birds are chirping and the sun's out. It just feels so, it takes a while for your internal clock to get you you realizing that, yes, you need to go to bed, you know. But um, that was just a fantastic hunt. We never did, our, our week, we never saw grizzlies. The week before us, two guys got grizzlies. The week after us, uh, a son, a dad and a son who were black bear hunting, had to shoot in the air to scare off a grizzly. But when, you know, when we were there, we didn't see a grizzly for John, but we did end up, I did end up getting a really nice black bear the first night I was there and um, took, took him with my pistol. It was super fun trip. Cool. So did John have a draw or was it, he, he being guided up there? He's being guided by Joe. Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm I'm having Alaska wilderness enterprises, I believe, but Joe Latart, but yeah, he guides up there nonstop. He's been up there forever. And, uh, that was a hunt that I would love to do again, um, both grizzly and black bear. It was just so different. A different. I've been bear hunting, you know, for the last twelve years. Um, I've taken bears all over Montana, Idaho, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and that Alaska before that too. But that style hunt where you're in that kind of terrain, the refuge, and you're living in pup tents and taking the boat out to the stands every day was just super cool. 
Yeah, very cool. You're going to have to go up there next year with the Grizz tag and show John how it's done, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, all, all kidding aside, uh, offline here, you got to talk to Steve. Steve's got to get you up to BC and do a BC bear hunt. We'd love to have I, you up here I for love Black that. Bears. I've never hunted bears in BC. That would be so fantastic. Well, then. Yeah, it'd be a good time. <laughs> Steve can hook you up for sure. So right. we'll yeah. chat about that later. Um, so turkeys, did you do spring turkey as well? Or what, what, yep. what was the plan I, around turkeys? Yep, we did. I do an annual, we call it the wall tent turkey camp with my buddy, Jason Matzinger and Willie Schmidt and, uh, the Onyx guys. And, uh, what was that this? Yeah, that was this year, right? I see, I can't even keep my stuff straight. Yeah. I think that was this year. Yeah, it was last year. We didn't because of COVID, but we did it this year. And, uh, it is, it's turkey hunting, which a lot of people are like, oh yeah, that's fun. But it is the most fun turkey hunting I've ever had in my, and I've turkey hunted across the country. It is spot and stalk, mostly spot and stalk, run and gun in the Missouri River breaks. So you cover like you're covering ground up and down the mountains. Um, you know, it's easy doing 10, 15 miles in a day. It is so much fun. And the funny part of it is we're all, we all camp out. We all put up the wall tents and camp out and half the time we're not successful. <laughs> <laughs> this year, I think we actually had four birds down in camp. And I think that was record, you know, because it's challenging. It's really, it, turkeys don't act like normal turkeys out there. Rarely does it happen where you set out a decoy in the morning and you call and they come down to your decoy and boom. It rarely happens like that for any of us. But it is, it, we've been doing it now for I think eight or nine years and it's just so much fun. And I, I had luck this year with my, uh, my single shot. 12 gauge and went running and gunning one day with Willie and his wife, Sherry. And, uh, I saw this bird and he was, again, he's got, got some hens with him and he's, you know, running through the Hills and you just kind of hope to get while they top over a hill, you're running up to the next one. And, um, uh, they kind of hung on the back of this hillside. I said, Willie, do you mind if I run and kill him? And he's like, go for it. And I'm just going between the trees and I can hear them. And I know that they're within like 30 yards and I just see a little hen head, go like this <laughs> over the ridge. And then I take a couple steps because I know he's right behind her. And sure enough, there was the Tom and boom. And so much fun. We, I didn't film it, but it was really fun. Very cool. Um, so now with uh, some of the stuff I've seen, like you, do you do you do much foraging? Like I've seen you had some morels uh, in one of your, some of your stuff, but do you do much of that? Or was that just some bycatch when you're out in the field? Yeah, that, that was probably bycatch this year, just because we were finding them around our bear baits which was kind of bonus, but I, I'm a scrounger at heart. I, I don't care if it's morels or like shark's teeth in Florida. I go every single year down to my dad's and I scrounge the beaches and find bulls and bulls of shark's teeth, but from morels to huckleberries to, and my roommate here is Laura Zara queen of foraging. I mean, Laura is a primitive survivalist. Laura, she's been on naked and afraid five times, completed it all five times. She's just hardcore, she knows the mountains. She knows what plants are medicinal, what berries you can eat. And so she's so much fun to go out into the mountains with and, you know, collect mushrooms and berries and, and use. She's also into using every single part of the animal. So my ram that I just got, we literally, when I say everything, I mean everything from saving the hooves are in my freezer. We're not sure what I'm going to do with the hooves, but there's too cool. Like we'll find something, but we saved we did all the meat and then we have all the scrap meat for the dog. She makes her own dog food. We kept the fat for rendering into something because how often do you get to use bighorn fat? And she made, she kept the sinew like, and I even kept the, you know what, for 
like the world's coolest change purse. So I've seen your handbag there. It's pretty sweet. Oh yeah. yeah. I, and it's big. Every, I'm like, Oh my goodness. I felt a little intimidated. by. Uh. <laughs> every ounce of this Ram is being honored. I'm telling you that. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I was such a cool handbagger uh, change purse. I think you called it. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah that's sweet. I'm gonna bring it to. Well, probably won't be ready for this sheep show, but next sheep show. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's um, yeah. I'd love to have Laura on the show at some point too to talk about yeah. the stuff that that she's up to and 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 gets into. Um, so let I guess on that note, using all the material, um, let's talk about your beadwork and the work you do there. Let's uh, let's segue there. Like um, you know how you got involved in that and. And talk about some of your, I guess, maybe your favorite piece would be kind of cool. There's so many pieces that you've done that are amazing. but Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so that was probably, that was back in my Edward Jones days. Um, my dad, okay, this is how old this story is. He brought me a Polaroid. <laughs> it was probably about 20 years ago now. He brought me a Polaroid of a picture that he took, you know, one of those little cheapy Polaroids. Um, he was in New Mexico and he was in an antique shop and he saw a painted ram skull and it was painted sort of Native American dot design. It was beautiful. And he goes, why don't you, and I, my dad and I have always painted just for fun. You know, we took art classes together one time at the senior center and like, but he's, he's always been a hobby artist and so have I. And so he's like, you should start painting some of your skulls. And I had skulls from my hunts, but also from scrounging when I, I'm a huge shed hunter. And so when I'd go out in Wisconsin, my dad's cabin has two major highways that, that surround two of the borders of his cabin. So we would always find roadkill. And so he's like, you should start painting some of your skulls, which I did. And I actually started out sort of in that dot design. And then over the years, um, it just led to, um, I have to give Kevin Polson credit here. Kevin Polson, a friend of mine on Facebook, he uh, sent me some pictures of beaded skulls that he saw. And these were just beautiful. And we're talking like art gallery in Park City, Utah, beautiful, you know, $10,000 beautiful. But it just gave me the idea to kind of start stoning them. I, I, I think it's almost more appropriate to say I stone skulls than bead them because I don't do any of the sewing of the beading like often Native American traditional beadwork is done. I do a lot of the gluing of stones from arrowheads and raw stone to blinged out Swarovski crystals to, you know, I have one right there on my um, mantle that's all wooden beaded with arrowheads. And uh, so that just started even before I moved out West and I started um, a website painted skulls or beaded skulls. I own both of them.com. And I would do it for customers. Actually, they'd send me their skulls. I'd send them back. We'd talk about design. I And the funny thing is that we incorporated a lot of that into the show, show in the beginning, but I really don't incorporate that much anymore just because I don't have much time to do them. Mm-hmm. I, I think this year I've done only four or five projects just because I've been so incredibly busy. One of the, one of the coolest projects I did, though, was this year. A good client of mine who has sent me five or six skulls now from Texas he owns a whitetail breeding facility and he often finds them when they fight and they've been killed. And he had these two bucks locked up and they're, I mean, just insane whitetails, you know, 200 inch whitetails locked up. And so I beaded both like the yin and the yang. One is bright white colored and the other one's dark. And that was a really fun project. Um, I've done a lot of them for the Western hunt expo. Um, That's been really fun because I've been, 
um, given these amazing replicas that look just beautiful and real um, from split image replicas. He does a lot of work for guys who maybe want, they've killed a 230 inch muley and they want one in their office and one in their home and one, you know, and so he does, he does replicas and he's been kind enough to donate a replica to me the last four or five years. And I've beaded them up and we've, we've raised some great money for conservation through those skulls. So those are always just- super fun. I was going to say, like, you know, you, you do a ton of conservation work with this. Uh, I think the RMEF and uh, is, is that correct? And a few other organizations, a ton of support. And then do you do any of the veteran support work with that as well? Yeah. Or is that? Yep. I've yeah. done a couple skulls um, for veteran groups, um, Marcus Luttrell's foundation, uh, Wishes for Warriors. That's the group I work a lot with that I love so much. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, the veteran organizations are so near and dear to my heart that uh, it's easy to do skulls for them. I just wish I had more time. I just literally, I didn't take any new projects this year. I just tried to get the ones that had been sitting on my desk forever out because I'm so just stupid busy. I'm never home. And now with a new commissioner position, I don't see how that's happening in, in the next couple of years, maybe four or five, six projects a year, but cool. So which one stands out the most? Is it the two whitetail ones? I've seen that. That's absolutely stunning. Those locked bucks are amazing. Is there one that stands out? And they're, they're all so diverse, right? There's the painted ones, the, the stoned ones. They're so cool. So anything that in particular that resonates with you the most? Or? I did. Yeah. Henry, the same one who I did the whitetail skills for, probably just jumped into my brain. But I did a 14-foot – look, I can't even fit my hands on the screen. 14-foot <laughs> alligator skull in all Swarovski crystals. And I just, honestly, I don't ever have a pattern. I just go like, and I just work on it and whatever I feel like doing, I do. Um, I love how that one turned out. And it was just amazing looking at it. I think it had over over like 5,000 and they were really little Swarovski crystals in this thing. It took me over a month working on it almost every day. Like I would, you know, you can't work on it too long. I'm going to get too old down there like this. You know, you can't work on it too long before your back starts to hurt. But that 14 foot gator skull, there's a picture of it on my Instagram that I reposted not too long ago. I did that about three years ago, but that one is so cool. Um, They're all so neat because they're, they have emotions in them, you know, like things carry energy and emotions in my opinion. And like when someone entrusts me with a skull from their hunt, that's a big deal. And so you know, I usually go over things with them, but, um, you know, some of the projects have a lot of emotion involved and, uh, yeah, I, I do need to get back into it when my life slows down here a little bit because it's so much fun and like the excitement of hearing the hunt and incorporating it somehow back, you know, into the, into the skull and, um, yeah, they're, they're fun. They're unique. Um, I've done everything from Buffalo, Longhorn, elk, deer, bear, I'm trying to think if there's any really super crazy skull I've ever done. I did a duck skull, a couple of duck skulls. They're like this big. They're easy. <laughs> cool. Did you Have you used any of the shark's teeth for any of those? Uh, of- I'm going to. I get that question okay. so many times because I always post my shark tooth hunting, you know, ex- or adventures. And um, I'm going to. It just is going to be a lot of work because I, how, I, how I see it in my mind is doing it on a, a really cool whitetail skull or something where you go from big to little. So it would be just, and I would love to do it with ones I have found. So it would just be, and I, I have tons of, I have bowls and bowls of them, but it would just be like finding the time to do it, separating them out by size and then creating a really cool pattern. But I'm going to sometime, a lot of people ask me that. Cool. 
Okay, so let's segue over now to talk about, I, I believe it's the Region 2 Commissioner position you've uh, taken on with Montana Fish, uh, Wildlife and Parks. Is that correct? And talk, tell us about that. What's involved with that? And how did that come about? Yeah. Other than the fact that you're worldly famous, but aside from that, um, oh, yeah. your, your conservation ethic and stuff. No, no, and I mean that seriously, but uh, obviously, um, you know, you're more than a pretty face in, in terms of, you know, your conservation ethic and, and your hard work there. So talk about the commissioner role and what you're doing with that for us. Well, to be completely honest, I'm so new into it. I don't even know yet, really. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I get the basics. So um, I was at the end of the summer, I was... Um, asked by a couple of people, I asked me if they, I knew that there was, the seat was open and I didn't. And I honestly, before that, never even knew how the commission worked. And so the two seats became open. Um, there is now a commissioner for every region in Montana and they needed a commissioner for region two. And so after talking to a bunch of different people from conservation groups to just locals here to um, some of the other hunting based organizations, I thought, yeah, I'll throw my name in the hat. I never really, I didn't know if how, what the chances would be of me getting it or not, but I've always kind of in my life, I've taken a lot of gambles, whether it's from different TV shows that I've done or, you know, positions or emceeing events that I was really nervous to do and didn't want to do. I've always sort of jumped in and said, let's go for it. And so I did. And I got a call from the governor and sort of had an interview and was awarded the commissioner position. So um, that was at the that was late summer. And I did tell the commission, the rest of the commission and the governor that I'm gone all fall. Like I'm crazy. Super busy. <laughs> so I like what are the dates of our meetings and how often do we meet? And so long for short, I haven't even been to my first meeting yet. That will be uh December 13th and 14th in Helena. But really what the commissioner position is, is it's, um, I represent region two of Montana. There's seven regions and I help make decisions on uh, season setting dates, tags. Um, for example, just last week, um, it appeared that a bunch of units in region two where we have not harvested as many elk as needed. We're way above objective. You know, fishing game is there to, you know, have sustainable numbers, but they have numbers that they need to meet as well, you know, and it's hard to make everybody happy. You've got hunters, you've got outfitters, you've got ranchers, you've got, you know, um, farmers, you've got all these different people that we need to make happy and wildlife management is a big piece, a big, you know, piece of the puzzle. And so I just had to extend um, the cow bee or our elk bee cow tags in a bunch of our units in region two, because those numbers haven't been filled. So that kind of thing. A um, lot of issues like right now we have wolf trapping that has just been um, sort of the regulations are changing a little about that as well as wolf hunting at night with thermals. Um, we just got hound hunting for bears in Montana, which is an incredible win for hunters. So there, there's like topics like that and everything goes through a review process um, it goes through public input process and then we, the seven commissioners vote on the topics. So I'm diving into this with both feet, two ears open, one mouth shut, and hopefully learn a lot. <laughs> um, it's an incredible amount of work that I'm learning. Um, I get inundated with emails every day and it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of trying, a lot of discussions. I've already had four phone calls today. Um, from people concerned about certain topics and issues and 
Um, I just want the people in region two to feel heard and listened to. Um, I of course represent the average hunter. I, I want to save Montana's hunting heritage. It's getting stripped away in a lot of other States. Looks, I mean, look what's happened Washington because they did not fill a commissioner seat. They had a vote go to a tie and they just lost their spring bear season. So I don't want things like that to happen in Montana. And, uh, Hopefully it'll be a fun run. If not, my term is a weird term because it was a, a different kind of a seat for region two that my term is only a 14 month term and then up for re-election or not re-election up for re nod, if you will, for four more years after that. So I figure if the year 2022 is just way overwhelming, I can always say I'm done with my term after 14 months. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of the sweet spot, right? You're not yeah. overcommitted. You just kind of got that window. If it works great, perfect. Yep. Up for another four. If not, then so be it. So, yep, exactly. Yeah. I cool. feel that. Well, that's great. Well, um, once you, you know, kind of get weighted into the issues, love to have you back and love to hear about what's going on in Montana with some of the wildlife issues and some of the things on the radar. It's always fun to learn these other jurisdictions and, and learn about what's going on. Right. So yeah, I'd love to, I'd absolutely love to come back on. Yep. Cool. I'm sure Let's this is much like, first. um, sorry, what's that? Let me learn a little bit first. <laughs> I'm sure your new role is pretty much like Casey's role in Yellowstone, right? You just oh, get yeah, to go yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'll be looking over both shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, so let's let's shift over now. You got to talk about this because you're probably the luckiest person I know when it comes to finding random stuff on the side of the road. Uh, sheds on in Texas, bighorns in uh, Montana. Um, I, I love John's post the other day. It's like you know, a hundred times you've yelled, "Stop the truck!" And he stopped the truck and he's rolling his eyes. And then all of a sudden you get this massive bighorn uh, found dead. So let's talk about some of your cool finds on the side of the road or just in general. You know, I, I know you mentioned you're a, you're a, a forager and a, a finder. So let's talk about, you got to talk about the bighorn for sure. Yeah. So. so this was just a couple weeks ago. Um, it's funny because John was kind enough. He, he flew up for three and a half days of hunting in October. And that's when we saw 41 sheep. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. Come November, 38 ewes. They were th with 38 ewes, two young rams and one lamb. So I'm like, look at all these ewes. This slam dunk, this is so awesome. And that was in October. Well, then I had other hunts. I had Utah. I had uh, Wyoming elk hunt, veteran elk hunt. And then back to Utah and then back here. So then John came up for mid-November, which is supposed to when it starts to get good, another three and a half, four days. We didn't see a sheep. We did not see. It. it was like the spaceship came down and took everybody away. You know, we always joke about that, but it was true. It was like, where in the world? And we hiked our butts off a lot of those days. Just, you know, covered in the mornings, we would start out high on the peak and just glass, glass, glass. But then we dive into the canyons and there wasn't snow, so we really couldn't track. But yeah, we just, they were gone. But on one of those days, we were driving along. Um, I can just say it now because I'm never going to hunt it again. It was Unit 250, Painted Rock Lake area. And uh, I have no problem giving all the intel because I'm not ever going to hunt it again. But uh, uh, so we're driving along the lake. And it's, it's where everyone knows the sheep hang out in November. It's no secret. In fact, oftentimes they're down on the highway. And that was honestly one thing I'm like, please don't let them be down on the highway. Like, I don't, I don't want that kind of hunt, you know, and they weren't, they weren't anywhere to be found, but we're driving along and I'm literally looking, I opened up the moon roof, the moon roof on my truck and I'm, the hill is so steep that I'm just looking up the hill as we're driving and I'm looking for sheep. But it is true that I asked John to stop, 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 stop. 
I think I saw an elk shed. Stop, 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 stop. I think I saw a white shed. Like 10 times a day at least. And it's never, ever been one yet with John. So in two years. <laughs> but the poor guy now has to stop every time I ever say that. So, but I'm looking at, and quite honestly, it was so far up there. We're talking 200 yards off the road, but it just didn't look right. It was the, it was a ram skull upside down. So what I thought I saw was a moose paddle. And I actually spotted I, the only set of moose paddles I've ever found were here in Montana. And I glassed them up at 680 yards away because wow. it just didn't look right. Right. A what big white it you. So I said, I think it might be a moose paddle. <laughs> He's in the backseat with his camera. And John's like, you want me to back up? And I'm like, mm, yeah. So we back up. I get out the spotting scope because I can't even tell with bye-bye. It just looks really weird. It's white and it's thick and it looks like this. So I get the spotter. I look it through the vortex and I said, I don't want to jinx this, but I, I think it might be a ram skull. And John's like, huh. and he looks through it and he's like, that's a ram skull. And I said, you think like 100%? And he's like, 100%. He was so confident. And I was like at man, no, 90. And so there Keith gets out the camera. He films this from the road. And I don't even know what we're going to find. It could be crumbly old, whatever. And we go hiking up and it's the kind of hill that's like, you know, two steps up and you slide one back another couple. And he's like, it's just steep, rocky. And uh, we get up there and I get towards it. And I'm just freaking out because it's a ram skull and it's upside down and it's in pretty good shape. It's got the, you know, tips of the you know, nose eaten off a little bit, but it's in pretty good shape and freaking out. And John goes, I wonder if there's any way the sheaths are around here. So he splits left. I split right. John walks straight up the hill and it wasn't three seconds. And he goes, guess what I see? And I'm like, ah, and I ran over there. And while he's heading towards the one, I spot the second. And so there oh. they are not far from each other in beautiful condition. They're, they're perfect. And I, I, I really believe this was a cat kill. And I know it's hard. Everybody's, how do you know? You don't know. I, I, I know it's hard to tell. But like in talking to the sheep biologist, she asked, what were the bones like? What did they look like? And they were all there, even the leg bones. So that makes you kind of come to the conclusion of lion kill. And there's tons of lions in that unit. We ran across lion tracks. Like you just see them all the time there. Although we ran across wolf track and I saw a wolf too. So, but it could be anything, but you know, typically wolves are going to take the legs and run off with them or fight with them. And, and, but anyway, beautiful condition, uh, mid one sixties Ram skull that I'm actually incorporating it into my mount. I'm going to do a pedestal mount about yay high. Um, on top of that pedestal, we'll lay the Ram skull and then it will have rock habitat with the Ram shoulder mount above it. That's going to be phenomenal. And isn't that amazing that, you know, you're out on the sheep hunt and then you find this found dead, right? It's amazing that, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah. You did. So at that point, did you go, I'm, I'm killing a ram this year for sure? Like, did you, did, it was, was pretty, it pretty lucky, but I had four or five days after that with not spotting a ram. So like, oh, yeah. I was like feeling so lucky right away, you know, like this, this is going to be so, and then I was like, oh, like, you know, it's day 10, 11, 12 tick on and you're not finding them anywhere. And it's, it's coming near the end of note, you know, you've got, you know, what did I have when I take out as when I had five days left on my hunt when I take yeah. out. So, and mind you, Two other gentlemen have the tag and we ran into each other all the time and they had not seen a sheep in November. So, and one of them, his name is Cletus. Cletus is in his sixties, is in the most remarkable shape. He is a huge shed hunter. 
he did one day, 22 and a half miles in the wow. mountains. Yeah. So I knew Cletus was covering ground and he didn't see a thing either. So um, it was pretty depressing. Uh, it was just getting depressing just because it's like, where in the world and time is running out. And this is literally a once in a lifetime tag. I mean, it's not like, even with my, my big moose in Alaska, I knew like it would be possible to hunt moose again. And it is possible that I could hunt sheep again, but it might not be likely. So, you know, there was that pressure, not, Oh, I've got to notch my tag, but I don't want this to end, but I want it to end with a notch tag. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also the fact that Keith has worked his butt off. My cameraman, I have been dragging that poor boy through the mountains like nobody's business, but we've along the way captured some of the most beautiful footage. Like we have big bucks. We have a beautiful elk bedded down in the snow. He didn't care we were there. The snow's falling on him. We've got a, a, a buck, a buck trying to cross the creek and it's frozen and he like ice skates and falls five times. It's the funniest video. Like, We've just got the coolest stuff. And then finding the skull live on the fly. So many wonderful things. I just wanted to do an episode and tie it all together with a a ram at the end. And so to have it all go down like that, I still like, I'm teary eyed about it. It was amazing. Like, I just can't believe that it happened the way it did. And both. So tell us, let's, let's uh, come on. Here's some deets here. I got to hear this. Come on. (laughs) Um, Well, so, okay. I'll cut, I'll cut it really short. So we've had all this other great footage, amazing time in the mountains. It's just been beautiful. Um, oops, I, sorry about that. John Bear, he ought to know better. Um, so, so we are, so we're on day thirteen now. And Heath and I decided to go on a death march, and we literally walked down a creek bottom. We cut up to the top of the mountain, walked the skyline out, and there's up at the top of the mountain. There's about I'd say four or five inches of snow, but it's the kind of the kind of trekking where it's super steep. Every step you take, you don't know if it's going to be a pointy rock to turn your boot and twist your ankle, or you're going to step on a stick to make you slide. I bet I face planted it at least a dozen times on this hunt. I mean, maybe he caught some of that on camera. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, actually, he probably didn't catch the face plants because he didn't want to hike with his camera out. You know, as much as you want to, you're falling so many times. He was like, I'm going to break my camera. So he had his camera in his back most of the time. But anyway, so we're up day 13, have not seen a sheep since, uh, had not seen a sheep in, in November, except one small collared ram. He was a teenager. He wasn't even legal. I have a ram. I have a legal ram take. I have to shoot a three quarter curl ram or better. The other two tag holders can shoot anything. So he wasn't even legal. And, uh, so we, we filmed him one day, the next day, and he had a broken leg. And I, there was a part of me that felt so guilty. Like, can I stretch him to three quarter curl? Because I, he's got a broken leg. There's no way he's going to make it, you know? And then the funny thing is we saw him three and a half miles away from where we saw him the first day to the second day. <laughs> this dude can run like he's fine. And then the biologist I was talking to later on said, it's funny, deer and elk and sheep, if they have a broken leg or a wound, wound and it's on the back, they'll get along fine. They'll survive for years. Front's a lot harder, but if they have a back leg injury, they can live just fine. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So day 13, we're, we're up on the top of the mountain. We're taking off layers. We're sitting down to get something to eat. I'm glassing. And I think I spot two sheep. It's like two miles away and they look like white butts to me. And you just pray that they're not mule deer, you know, but I was pretty sure it was two sheep. Didn't know what they were. And, you know, Heath is gung ho. He's like, let's go for it. And so we're, 
you know, walking miles like this, where you go down the skyline, then you're up the skyline, then you're down the skyline, then you're up the skyline. And we get over there and we're on the top of the skyline. We're on the top of the bowl. And I know they were bedded right down there, 400 yards. So we're just being really super quiet, looking around. I take my gun off, take my pack off. He lets, gets his camera out and we're looking down. And all of a sudden he goes, over there, ram, ram, ram. And 150 yards away in the timber, we see a U pop out and a ram. It's the first shooter ram I have seen. It's day 13. I get down on my gun and I mean, they got down and then I got up to, they're gone. We see their butts crest over. So we get up and we run around this bowl and we had to have been where they were standing, not even two minutes later, gone. And that's not typical ram behavior. You know, typically a ram has a U with him. He couldn't care less about anything else, right? I think he had the only ram in the U, the only you in the unit with him, and he led her right back into the timber. That's what I think happened because we combed the uh, combed the rest of the day. We even walked all the way back to our truck, drove us across to the other mountain to glass this way. Gone. That was definitely a low of the hunt. I was 150 yards, beautiful ram. So disappointing. Day 14, nothing, not a sheep. Day 15, we're driving in. It's just getting light out. We're going to our spot to, we couldn't even get up to the top to glass because it had snowed a good, you know, six to eight inches that night. And it was too icy to climb to the top, but we were going to get up as far as we could and then hike. And I, we're pulling into the canyon. I look up and I'm like, ram, ram, ram. And there's a ram like staring over the skyline at Heath and I. So we run over, park the truck, get our gear on and start hiking. And he disappears over the ridge. And by the time we got up this ridge that was like this, you know, it was probably a good 25 minutes, half hour later, he's gone, but we had tracks. So we're like, we're staying on him all day long. This is going to be all day long. So we follow the skyline up to the top of the mountain and that ram went down and up this pole and over the next ridge and down that pole. And finally we're like, I, we couldn't even go on. Like I was just exhausted, sweaty. Like I had way too many layers on. So did Heath. We, I face planted it so many times because of that snow and not knowing the ground, every step you take, your muscles are kind of on high alert, you know, ready to fall or slip. And half the time you're stepping on a twig and sliding down and it was just exhausting. And we called it after about two and a half miles into the mountains and we cut back to the truck, made a big, I made a big mistake by leading us through these like, you know, eight, 10 foot tall pines that were fresh growth, I would say in the last two decades, but that was just in the middle of them, pixie sticks, pixie. I felt so bad. I literally turned to, he, he actually filmed me on his cell phone because I was like, we were both dying. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, and, and, and it was like, talk about second low of the hunt. So we get all the way back to the truck. We take a break. We air out all our clothes in the truck put the heater on high. We're driving down to another Canyon to kind of look up these ridges. And as we're driving, we cut on the road Ram tracks again. And so we're like, we get on them again and we climb up a saddle and they're there. And then they go down and up and down and up. I'm telling you, these Rams were bird dogging like whitetails. I think they were desperately looking for where did all the U's go? And so, you know, we lost that track again. Well, it came about 3.30 in the afternoon. We got back to the truck. We drove around the mountain to look at the backside of this big ridge that we were on all day long. Heath gets out of the truck, looks up. He says, Ram. And I go, where? And he goes, look where we left off. He's right near that saddle where we left off. And I, I really think it was a different Ram bird dogging the Ram's tracks that we saw earlier that morning. He said, let's go back, climb up to the saddle and wait. We got an hour of light left. 
So that's what we did. We go back, we climb up. I told him no hiking anymore today. And here he is hiking me back up the side. <laughs> Thank God. And uh, so we get to this saddle and we're sitting there and we take our packs off and we're getting comfy and I've got my gun and we're watching this hillside because up there is where we kind of left off and the tracks are up there. They're also on the saddle that we're on, but we're thinking he's where we last saw him. He is about a mile, maybe more so away that if he, if he comes the way the tracks came, we're on. Well, the sun sets behind the mountain. I'm getting super cold. I told Heath, I'm going to go check the backside of this saddle to see if maybe he crossed low. So I'm about 40 yards away from my gun. <laughs> But I needed all that film anyways, because everybody's like, how did you walk away from your gun? When you're filming, I got to have it on film anyway. And Heath is all set up this way. He's not going to follow me just to peek over there. It's one of those, I'll be right back. So I go over there. I'm peeking over and I hear, psst, psst. And he's going, and I'm like, and I look up and there's a ram. And he's not looking down at us, but he's looking around and he's standing about 150 yards up on the skyline. It's actually a false skyline. It's, it's got a little dip in a mountain behind him, but he's on this, on the skyline and I crunched down and I'm now in normal hunting mode. If that were an elk, a whitetail or a muley, I'm not moving till he puts his head behind something. Right. And he's just looking around and looking around and, and I'm like, he, I said, should I just go for it? And he goes, go for it. <laughs> I wish I would have had all this because it's actually kind of funny now. So I like actually tried to walk like a you, like put my hands like down on the snow and like walk back to my gun and get in my gun and I'm watching him and trying to focus. And he's like kind of walking a little and he's curious as to what we are. I get on my gun and it's straight up. Like I get on my gun, I'm on my path. He, I said, you ready? And he steps out and I had his whole frontal and Everyone, that's a good shot if you're solid, 140 yards. I just put, I'm shooting a 28 Nosler, 175 grain Acubons, and I just nice. touched off and boom, and I knew it hit perfect. And he jumps a couple of steps. We see, I see feet in the air, and I just wow. lost it. I mean, I just <laughs> lost it. Heath was crying too. I don't care what he says, he was crying. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, we just, couldn't believe it. He came over and gave me a big hug. And we, I mean, I literally feel like in my, it was the, it's definitely the pinnacle of my life as a hunter. Um, you know, I've got, if you include bird hunting, I've got, you know, over 40 years of hunting, but big game hunting over 30 years, by far the pinnacle of my hunting life. And, uh, to share it with Ethan all those days, he was there with me every day, but two of them. Um, it was, it was just so special. It was the, it was, I've never felt more emotion and I, I get really emotional on a lot of my hunts. I mean, but just because it was a once in a lifetime moment, I just wanted to savor every single second. And I, I, the way that it was so hard, which now looking back, I'm so glad because some sheep hunts are pretty easy, you know, and that good for them. I've watched these guys, they're Montana full curl or full circle. And they're hunting my unit in 2017. And they're like, let's go back to that other ram we saw like must be nice and i know it's <laughs> like that there some years and it could also be like that in the adjacent unit where everyone's like why don't you go over to 270 well that's not where my tag is because on 270 they hang out on the highway there and everybody knows that herd you know right. but uh i'm so glad it was so tough it made it so much more memorable and there's a one minute clip that Heath put together for me last night that I put up on my Instagram. That's the last post I made that I think 
he, he did such a good job. So we were losing light. I don't have any cell phone footage. Like I try to capture a lot of stuff with my cell phone for Instagram and Facebook. I didn't even have my cell phone out because we were just super busy. And so I said, put, put, just put together like me on the Ram, you know, so I can show people the Ram. And he put together this 53 second piece that really shows the emotion that we were both feeling. So that's a fantastic story. Lots of content there. Is this a one episode show or are you going to have two episodes? How is it going to work for, uh, for carbon? Yeah, it's actually going to be a one episode, but it's not going to air for a year. It's going to debut my season five. Um, so January 2023 on Carbon TV. Um, the reason is um, 2022 is my all veteran season. So that's already in and locked up 13 episodes. Um, so this will debut the season after that. So I am going to put together uh, a piece for the Wild Sheep Foundation. So you guys might get to see a, a tease of it there. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, that's great. I can't wait to. So uh, you're going to be at uh, Sheep Show. Are you guys, do you have a booth there? Does Carbon TV have a booth or how's that? What does that look like? No, I wish they did. They don't. I'm just going, you know, I have a in with the auctioneer. So I'm his guest. (laughs) But uh, I've gone the last, I actually went last year when it was all virtual. They did such a good job. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, the year before, two years before that, I've gone. So I've gone three times and it's just, it's one of my favorite shows. It's so fun. So uh Hope the crowds are going to be as big as they've ever been before. But uh, I'm just, I just get to go and enjoy. I feel like that one movie with Tom Cruise, I have no responsibilities here whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you talked about this being your pinnacle hunt, your sheep hunt, and, and just a hats off to you because, uh, you know, just to kill a sheep is just a huge accomplishment and to do it in the way you did it and the effort you put in. And it was not a slam dunk. It was not a gimme. Um, and you did it on your own, you know, it was, uh, it wasn't a guided hunt. You were out there just hustling and working your butt off. And so, um, I can, I can understand how hard that is. So, um, so you've, you've reached the pinnacle of your hunting career. Um, mm-hmm. but that said, you've got a show, you've got a future. What, what's, is there a bucket list hunt for you? Is there something else that you're, you want to do or what, um, what's next for you? Yeah, I definitely de- a grizzly hunt. I would love to do a grizzly hunt with John. We're probably going to try to go back with Joe either on the Yukon flats or he guides in other parts of Alaska as well. Um, probably uh, try that for 2023. Um, but other than that, you know, there's just, I'm, there's not a whole lot of places. There's so many, I should say it like this. There's so many places inside this country that I haven't explored, that I haven't hunted, that I'd love to go that, you know, and all over Canada, you know, I've been really blessed to be in a lot of Canada and Alaska and, and do so many months, but there's so many places I haven't been yet. Um, that, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually slowing down a little bit. I don't know when that's going to happen, but slowing down a little bit and, uh, you know, maybe not filming everything like I have been, you know, the last 12 years, but, um, yeah, I just, I just want to explore, you know, I just, there's so many be this Montana, even alone. I feel like I still don't even know even half the state of Montana. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I just, there's just so many great places. And, you know, now thanks to Onyx Maps, you can go anywhere, you know. I, and I have to say, I really do have, so there's a couple of people I'd really love to give credit to on my sheep hunt. Number one is Robert Hanneman. He's a friend of mine. He was, he and his wife, Amy, were my first friends I ever met when I moved out to Montana. And Robert works for the Hunt and Fool. And every year, Robert, because he is a 
I don't even know what to call him. We joke. Uh, he, uh, he, I hope he doesn't get mad at this, but we almost call him autistic. He like, he is a genius autistic savant. Like how that man knows every unit in every state when I can barely remember my own birthday is so amazing to me, but he does. Robert knows every state, every unit. It's incredible. And so like I put in for Montana, but I put in for other states as well. And he's always helped me with takes. And I remember last year, he's like, want to do the same? What are you thinking? And I'm like, ah, you know, I want easy odds. You know, I'm, I've never been just a trophy hunter and I want easy odds. And quite frankly, my sheep units, one of the best units to get a tag, you know, best sheep units in Montana. And, you know, you've got the Missouri river breaks, which are the coveted, you know, genetically superior rams, but I didn't really care about that. I mean, I just thought I would never get to do it anyway. So give me the best odds. And, um, it worked. And, uh, mm. you know, so I, I really need to thank Robert Hanneman. And of course, Heath Helgert, H2O Productions, my camera guy and editor. He's amazing. Um, but also, you know, um, on X, like I literally, I'd never been in this unit before. And so with on X, they have a new 3d unit. So you go onto your laptop under your on X account. And I studied those mountains on the 3d layers. And like I did two excursions on big hikes this summer to just look for sheep sign. I went way up into Nelson Lake, which was an amazing hike with friends we did one day and I filmed it. And then I did another hike up this one big Canyon that supposedly some big Rams have come out of, but clearly discovered that's a unit for horses, you know, that you would definitely need horses to get way or mules to get way back in there. Um, but it, you know, Onyx really helped me target the areas that I did. And uh, that was cool. It was super cool. And I felt like, especially like I said, the change in my life two and a half years ago, I had used to have a hunting partner, you know, with everything. And, and now I really don't. And heat's a big part of my hunting life and a good hunting partner for me, but we don't even get to do half the hunts we want to together because we're both so super busy, but I, I typically, and John's of course in Utah. So we, we hunt a bit when we can together, but it's not like having someone that you live with and hunt with every day. And so to do this one on my own and to be able to scout it on my own, you know, and I asked people who know that unit really well, like certain tips and tricks. And basically everybody said the same thing, focus around the lake, focus around the lake. Well, that's what I did. And in, in October that really paid out, but there were no big rams. And then come November, right. Like no sheep, like it was just crazy, weird year, whether that was weather related or, you know, or maybe predator related. Like I said, I saw a monster wolf and then saw huge tracks up another drainage, uh, cat tracks. But uh, yeah, to be able to get it done, it like, yeah, it was a DIY, but it took other people's help as well. Yeah, as as always, I guess, yeah, for sure. But uh, just to get it done is is huge. And uh, yeah, I can't say enough congrats to you and getting kicked out. So you, you can go drink beer at the Less Than One Club this year, but you're not going to win anything, at least <laughs> and not uh, not yeah. the Less Than One Club. So yeah. uh, very cool. That's a great story. We appreciate you taking the time today, uh, Jana. So this next season, 2022, it's an all-veteran year. So tons of great hunts. When's the next show? When's the next one coming out that people want um, to well i in. actually so i'm actually behind right now in my schedule i have my backcountry utah hunt coming out within the next day or two it was supposed to be out the 15th but i told heath you can divert that that project for a minute because we got a sheep to kill so <laughs> he has not spent any time editing the last couple of weeks because i've had his his butt in the mountains but uh yeah the utah backcountry hunt episode comes out and then i'm heading to iowa and i really hope i have luck with the muzzleloader and that's probably going to be my december episode so then 
we kick into, uh, we're going to re-edit these, these shows have all been seen before, except one of them, um, which was a veteran hunt I did in Wyoming just last month with Blaine Scott, but, uh, they're going to be re-edited, retold. And, uh, everybody seems to just absolutely love their stories, which me included. And to be able to put them all in one season where everybody can go watch them all. I'm just so excited about, and, uh, you know, some incredible Eric Galvin, he's a triple amputee, um, no legs, no right arm, took him at RNK in Wyoming. He gets a great bull. Jonathan Blank, I took last year. He is at, at the hip amputated and he literally caught, well, bam, the founder of wishes hold him on his back half the time. And then he crawled up that mountain and uh, shoots a great six point bull. There's just every one of my veterans hunts has ended with just an amazing, amazing notch tag tears all around. And, and yeah, it's such a beautiful thing to see these men and women, um, you know, conquer the mountains again and, and feel like, okay, I can do this. But I just think it's such a beautiful thing to be able to share their stories and hopefully spark more patriotism in this country. That's fantastic. Well, and the work you do in, in the uh, veteran community and the conservation community, Jenna, is just uh, unbelievable. And then the stories you tell through your platform are fantastic as well. We're we're obviously big fans and just love the work you do and, and just was so excited to see you with the sheep hunt. And um, I can't wait to see the episode in 23. It's uh, That's a darn long time to wait. I'll tell you that. It's going to be tough. So <laughs> it's like a taxidermy weight, you know, you drop it off. You're not going to see it for a year. So <laughs> the good thing is it's not going to cost us five grand, right? So. But, yeah, but I'm really excited. So uh, like Steve said, he's going to get a lot of slack for this, but um, he may have my piece done for the Western hunt expo in February because he, he has a booth there and he wants it on display and, and how cool to be able to have the deadhead with my Ram. And uh, uh, it won't be done by sheep show, but maybe next year it would be at sheep show. So hopefully. Very cool. Well, we'll look for it for sure. And, uh, and I can't wait to watch for this, um, this little video that, uh, is going to be shown at sheep show as well. It's exciting. If that comes together, that'll be really cool to watch that, get a, yeah. get a teaser for the big show next year. So, yeah, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate, uh, your time and being able to share some stories and I look forward to seeing you guys in, uh, January. Yeah, you too, Jenna. Thank you so much. And we'll be, uh, we'll track you down in Sheep Show and uh, we'll buy you a beer at the Lesson One Club. So, <laughs> sounds great. Thank you so much. All right. Th thanks again.